Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Blue View podcast. And first off, we just want to say thanks for the amazing support on the last episode with Fabrizio Romano. It was great. We had lots of comments, over 200 likes. It was crazy. So, yeah, so thankful for that. And we're having another big guest on today, someone who you will all know from the Chelsea community. Um, so, yeah, we've got Alex Goldberg. Uh, he runs the Fireline podcast as well, as you know. So, yeah, Alex, would you like to introduce yourself quickly? Sure. Well, it's really nice to be on. Congrats to you guys for launching the pod. Already getting Mr. Fabrizio Romano on. Good stuff. Proud of you guys. And yeah, it's just nice to be here on another platform in the Chelsea community talking to two of you who I've been talking to on Twitter, especially you pies for a long time. Dubois, a bit newer, but already we've talked quite a bit since your interesting come up. So you already gave me an intro in terms of what I do, so I'll just say I'm happy to be here. Yeah, that's great, honestly. So, basically, today, guys, we're just going to do like a Twitter Q&A. Dubois put out some questions. Uh, we got a lot of good ones, but we've like selected a few, which we think are like really interesting topics. So, just going to go through and discuss, basically, today. We're going to get an opinion from Dubois and Alex, and then maybe I'll chip in as well if we've got enough time. So... Yeah, we're going to start off then. The first one to Alex is one that I know me and him have been debating about a little bit recently as well. Is It's about formations and the question comes from CFC Bobby is, do you believe Chelsea will play a 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1 long-term under Frank? Now, I know what Alex believes about this, so um, I'm going to ask the bar first. Um, I think what we've seen recently, obviously, is that 4-2-3-1 towards the start of the season, we tried it and... I wasn't, but personally, I wasn't impressed with how we were playing. It didn't look too structured, you know. Uh, you know the way we were attacking. I wasn't. It, there wasn't a flow to the, to how we were playing. So, I think rightfully we switched up to the four three three, and I think West Brom that comeback, um, you know, that started that sort of four three three. And ever since we've used it, I think we look a lot more short in the way we're attacking. We look like a team that has gone from not knowing where to go when we're attacking to a team that looks like they've been playing together for years. So I think we need to play it long-term and that's my personal opinion. I mean, we saw the 4-3-3 under Sarri. Yes, it was more rigid and, you know, you know, I think Lampard looks to interchange when he's using the 4-3-3, especially in the attacking areas. But I think it provides us with different options. It allows more of our squad to get involved. I mean, Kovacic, I think, is... <laughs> quite good in a 4-3-3 but he obviously hasn't had a look in yet but you know it gives us many options and what we've seen is defensive stability as well as our attacking flair in a 4-3-3 so yeah I think it has to be the way forward I mean whether Lampard will go ahead and stick with that is another story because we've seen how flexible he can be but I think now is the time to sort of stick with one um, formation and I think 4-3-3 is the one. Yeah that's fair enough I agree with quite a lot what you said there Alex do you want to Add anything on to that? I can only echo it. I have said for a long time, 4-3-3 is what Lampard truly wants to do. I stuck with that even once the 4-2-3-1 was being rolled out quite a bit. And I think it's just obvious why it's a 4-3-3. We've laid out the reasons. When I say we, I just mean many people in the Chelsea community. We've laid out the reasons, the logical reasons as to why 4-3-3 is Lampard's ideal formation. One, I mean, Lampard played a lot in it. It's what he understands the most. Two, well, Pies doesn't love the player, but we know Lampard does, Mason Mount. Well, Frank Lampard acquired 
Ziyech, Werner, and Havertz on purpose. On purpose, folks. It wasn't an accident that he acquired those players. So he obviously wants to start those players. And he obviously wants to start Christian Pulisic when fit. But he obviously wants to start Mason Mount. So it just leads to the idea that the 4-2-3-1 was a bit of a security blanket, you could say. A bit of a tactical blanket, you could say. And certainly did not make Mount look very good. I think Frank was hurting Mount there. But I kept saying, hey, when Ziyech is fit to start, when he's fit to start, we're finally going to see Frank's plan. Because he wanted to acquire all those guys I just mentioned. He wants to start Pulisic, but he wants to start Mount. So we're about to see his plan. Then what happens? Ziyech becomes fit to start, and we see the 4-3-3. And we see Mount in the midfield. So I think it's clear. 4-3-3 is what Lampard ideally wants to do. Hey, Alex. So I want to ask you something. I was thinking about, obviously, we had Fabrizio Romano one, and he was basically like echoing a bit what you'd been saying, like Declan Rice is one of our targets, etc. And maybe in January we'll try and go for him. So if you do think like Lampard is going to play 4-3-3 long-term, how do you think the midfield's going to line up? Because obviously we have Kante as well, who Lampard has wanted, you know, to stay and he's basically expressed that. So I, I don't know. I just don't know how it's going to like plan out. I mean, if you're thinking about it, really, if you want Rice, then the best thing to do is play a 4-2-3-1 with them two in a pivot, but then Mount doesn't play. So, and obviously Lampard loves him, especially at eight, he's good. So I, I don't know how the midfield's going to line up. I mean, if you had Rice alone DM, then obviously the, the logical thing in terms of our team right now would be Havertz and Mount, but then you leave Kante out. So how do you think that's going to set up if we do get Rice? Yeah, it's a great question. And Matisse, who's in the Chelsea community, people probably know listening, asked me that just to further the conversation because we keep saying, well, uh, he wants Rice, but we're not diving into what you just said. So good question. Honestly, I, I think it's something where it's a problem that fits in line with all the problems Chelsea have wanted recently. They want good problems. They want those type of headaches. The one thing Declan Rice would have to get used to is he probably would be in a platoon, okay? So Conte, we know, shouldn't be starting every game, even if he's going to look like he did the past weekend when we had that great win over Burnley where Conte just put on a complete masterclass. Even if he's putting in those performances, we know from watching Conte the last year plus needs to be managed a bit more. So he'll probably be okay. I mean, he's not a controversial character anyway, but he probably will be okay playing a little bit less. Still playing a lot, but a little bit less. Declan Rice, obviously, we know he wants to join Chelsea, and I'm sure he would join Chelsea under any role, even goalkeeper. But he's going to need to get used to the fact that, well, he's just not going to play every second. For West Ham, he's played every second of this season, every second of the previous season, and every second of the season before that, dating back to the fourth game that season. So he has pretty much played now, you could say, two full seasons at least playing every second. You think Mount plays a lot. You think Azpilicueta plays a lot or used to. Rice plays a lot more. So he'll have to get used to the fact that, yeah, it'll be a platoon, you would imagine, between him and Conte. For Chelsea, though, boys, great problem. Great problem. Selfish problem. Oh, who do you have at DM to anchor Mountain Havertz? Oh, we have Conte or Declan Rice. Not a bad problem. Both already Premier League proven. Obviously, Conde even more. But you can say with all the caps under Rice's belt at this point, pretty Premier League proven. Yeah, he plays in a pivot at West Ham. But I've said this before. Everybody wants a DM at this point. It just might not be Rice. Zakaria might be your flavor. Might have been Partey. It could be Sumare. It could be Ampadu. 
but especially the guys I mentioned that aren't Ampadu, well, they're also playing with a partner. So for Frank, it's more about the traits. Do they have the traits? So I think it would be the smart way to do it with Declan Rice is to not just throw him in game in, game out as the lone DM. It would really probably help him to have him platooning with Conte. And then, of course, you then ask yourself further about Jorginho would assumingly be out the door if Rice was in. But what about Gilmore? All right, Gilmore has that six and that eight ability. Kovacic, once again, could be a square peg in a round hole. I won't talk too much about Kovac because maybe he comes up in the questions. But specifically on your question, Pies, of Conte, Rice, how does that work? Well, it becomes a great problem for Chelsea, but maybe someone like Rice and to an extent Conte need to understand we're in a little bit of a platoon here is the best way I can say it. Yeah, honestly, my head hurts like thinking <laughs> about all the midfield options for us, honestly. Like, I just... It's crazy. It's actually, as you said, like, it's like a really good problem. So I'm looking forward to see how the midfield pans out over the next foreseeable future, however long. Yeah, so um, really good answer there, Alex. So, Dubois, would you like to move on to the next question we've got from our listeners? Yeah, so this one, it comes from Football Lou. And this is a topic which I think, you know, many Chelsea fans have had a say on, especially over the last couple of weeks. Um, and it's on... Callum Hudson-Odoi. Now, the question is, I guess, a general question on the treatment of Callum Hudson-Odoi and your thoughts on it. So, I guess we'll start with Alex and then obviously Pais after that. Yeah, it was a loaded, loaded question. So, I'm going to try and keep it a bit more current, like super, super current. So, right now, I want Callum to play as much as possible. However, I find if we're really getting upset about Callum not starting consistently, then I think we're contradicting other things we're asking for because we're asking for Frank to build an identity, have continuity, settle on more or less an 11, which of course then builds the identity. But then if we're asking for, and I'll say Callum here, but also Giroud and Kova, if we're asking for all these other players to start, well, then some of our requests are going against each other. Some of them are contradicting each other. Now, with that said, I still think Callum should have been getting those minutes on the wing when it was a 4-2-3-1 but hindsight's 2020 obviously Lampard was going with a super defensive cautious approach so it is what it is now the switch to the 4-3-3 theoretically makes things a bit easier for Callum because now you see Mount is in the midfield so at least Mount won't be starting on the wing over Callum in this formation but you're seeing that Timo even as a left winger is currently ahead of Callum we know Pulisic would be ahead of Callum. And Ziyech is on the right wing, but Callum can play there. So he's ahead of Callum. So Callum is still kind of fourth string in a 4-3-3 on the wing. My hope is that this is Frank right now. You know, he went with that same front three on Wednesday, where some people were like, ah, now you got to rest Timo. He's got to get a rest. But I think Frank, besides the fact that Frank really rates Timo's endurance and his durability, I think Frank is now doing with the attacking group what he was trying to do with the defensive group. Oh, now I need to build cohesion. Now I need to build continuity. And as we know, the 4-3-3, the front three, they don't stay in their spots all the time. They'll interchange. We saw Ziyech at one point on the left wing. We saw Timo draw the first penalty over on the right-hand side. Even when pressing, sometimes Tammy will flip over. Ziyech went central. So there's a lot of interchanging there. And I know that the word press 
has become almost like a swear to some people in the Chelsea community. However, folks, it is very important to Frank Lampard. So how players do off the ball is very important to him. Now, I think Callum probably gets slighted in that department, but it does make sense that right now Frank might be trying to hone in on his top regulars, Timo, Ziyech, you got to say Tammy is a higher regular right now than Callum. And of course, Christian back in the mix when he's fit. I think he's honing in on those guys. My hope though, boys, to kind of answer the original question is once he's a bit more settled, once those players have a bit more time under their belt together, well, then Frank starts finding the pockets for Callum and hopefully the pockets for Callum are also starts for Callum. So overall, I was saying for a while, it was a sad situation because it just felt like, hey, maybe Callum could get a chance and then he's doing something small that's taking him out of the run. When I say small, it's not like scandal stuff. It just might be small professional things along the route. But then he cleans that up and all of a sudden players are fit again. So he doesn't have that chance anyway. So I think he's created a little of his bad luck, but also some of his bad luck has just been bad luck. You do have to remember he's 19. I think I need to just add this in before I end my answer. If we had just heard of him and we looked at his talent and his age, we'd be like, oh, wow, 19, loads of talent. Any game time he gets is huge. But because we know his story, because we actually had expectations last season for him to become a prominent player immediately for the club, and because his story has baggage, I'm not saying his situation does right now, but there's so much already to his story. Well, we look at it like, he's failing now or we're failing him if he's not playing a lot. But in retrospect, as long as Frank finds appropriate times to get him in and three minutes here, three minutes there, won't cut it, but 25 to 30 minutes, at least you would hope at least weekly. Well, hopefully that allows Callum to then do what Kova needs to do, do what Giroud needs to do, grab the bull by the horns and force Frank's hand. But Callum, there's even more investment there because he's younger and they've invested a lot more in Callum than those other two players. So I'm indifferent right now on how I feel about it because I'm not asking for him to start. I still would just like him to play a bit more, but I get why Frank right now is honing in on an attacking group because he's trying to establish what we've been asking him to establish continuity, identity, etc. So it's a loaded question as you can tell. Yeah. I mean, just to add to you, I think you've made very good points there, especially regarding, um, how Frank's sort of trying to get the attack to gel. And I think that's what we're seeing, especially with defence. I think that's happened now. And then you can see sort of the main stars, even if we think Werner's being overplayed, you can see them interchanging. And it does seem to be a plan to sort of get them all to gel. And I think you made some very good points there as well on Hudson-Odoi just being, I guess it's bad luck as well at the same time. Um, but one thing you did say, which I'm just going to quickly uh, touch upon, was bringing, uh, he's 19 years old, yeah. And I think if you look around in the Premier League of, players maybe of similar age in that category who we'd consider in the same bracket as Hudson-Odoi in terms of talent. For example, like Saka at Arsenal, I think there's a big difference in the sort of game time they're getting. I mean, Saka's quite, you know, he's getting quite a lot of time at Arsenal on the pitch and he's sort of, that's not hindering his development. In fact, that's doing the opposite. Obviously, Saka is a great talent and one that I think Chelsea fans, I think most Chelsea fans agree Hudson-Odoi is a bigger talent. But I personally think that now that Hudson-Odoi seems to have a lack of chances at Chelsea, it, it's getting to a stage where it might be hindering his development. I mean, we saw under Sari that Hudson-Odoi was managed and he got, Sari was, being, was given quite a bit of stick for the way he was handling Hudson-Odoi. And I think in hindsight, 
um, Sari was probably doing the right thing, you know, considering Hudson Odoi's age at the time and, you know, he was still getting game time. Although now we've made big signings and you could argue that it's harder for Hudson Odoi to break into this side compared to the one um, where we had Willian, etc., as opposed to Ziyech. So, but that's one thing I think Chelsea fans are a bit concerned about. I mean, I'll move on to Pais in a second on his opinion, but it just seems as though it's a bit of a dead end at the moment for Hudson Odoi because he saw Mount start on the wing ahead of him not long ago, albeit in a 4-2-3-1. But now he's seeing Werner start on the wing in a 4-3-3. And, you know, especially when Werner's played almost every game, for Callum, that's, it, it does send a signal that, you know, maybe Chelsea is hindering his development. And again, I think I'm playing a bit of a devil's advocate here by saying that, but it does seem to be that compared to the other big talents in the Premier League of similar to Callum's sort of level, he is being left behind a bit. So I'm interested to see what Pai says about Hudson Odoi in general, but that's sort of how I see it. And I sort of agree with you a little bit, Tobias. It's more like, you know, for me, Lampard is doing anything before he can start Callum. Like with Werner on the wing the other day, it's just, like, I know he got two penalties, all right, but he's not an actual like winger for me personally. I would prefer to see like Hudson Odoi start on the left. And then if you want to play Werner, just play him up front. I mean, with the mount thing on the on the wing, obviously, no one likes that. I don't even think Alex likes that. But, you know, for me, overall, it's just, I want to see Callum get, you know, 20, 30 minutes off the bench if he's not starting at least. But when, like, Ziyech isn't fit or, you know, Pulisic isn't fit, don't play Werner on the wing. Play Hudson-Odoi. That's the main thing with me. It's, it's give him the start that he deserves, you know. Especially, like, I think one of the mo- main things that we was all baffled about is because, Callum Hudson Odoi, he scored against um, Krasnodar, and then he just doesn't start the next game. So, next game, next Champions League game over Werner on the wing. I just, I don't understand that. I feel like we could have scored even more against um, against Run with Hudson Odoi because his creativity. So, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I'm not a fan of Werner on the wing, to be honest, personally. And I just think, again, it's the thing of Lampard for me, just doing everything he can before he can get Hudson Odoi a start. So. I don't know. I don't know if it's a personal thing, but I hope it's not. I don't think it goes that deep. I just think that Lampard wants a lot from Hudson Odoi. You know, he wants a lot on the training pitch. I think, obviously, me and Alex, especially, have spoken about this. What he thinks like Hudson Odoi needs to do to get more starts. You know, working harder and tracking back, etc. So it'll be interesting to see going forward how how Hudson Odoi is sort of managed. I guess and how many minutes he does get. And I think just the overall thing about hudson Odoi is Chelsea fans are just are just wary, basically, of another De Bruyne-Salah situation happening where we have these guys with clearly a load of talent, but they just don't get enough enough time, enough, you know, I guess trust is the word, on the pitch, and they, they'll end up going and smashing it somewhere else. And I know hudson Odoi will do that. I just... I mean, to put it into context, guys, Bayern Munich don't come after anyone. Like, let's be serious. They've got some of the best transfer, like, people in the world. The scouts are amazing. They've turned down numerous people. They turned down Nicolas Pepe last summer. Uh, not last summer, the summer before, because obviously they said um, he was, like, he relied too much on space. So there was things about him that they didn't like. And obviously Pepe went to Arsenal for 72 mil and he's not doing the greatest. So... Bayern seems to get a lot of things right in terms of transfers. So I think 
if they're coming off the Hudson Odoi, that tells you a lot personally. So I hope that it doesn't get to that stage where he goes on loan and then they agree an obligation and then they end up buying him. Because obviously I think that what I've read anyway is that Chelsea wanted a £70 million obligation, which means that Bayern would have to buy him the next summer. So I hope it doesn't get to that. And I hope Hudson Odoi obviously succeeds at Chelsea. And I think we all just want him to succeed, obviously, because we've seen this kid come through from the academy and it's like, it's a winger. Let's not forget it's a winger. We've seen Musonda, who was also very, very talented, but for different reasons, he didn't make it. We see Boga, you know, with Conte. Remember Conte, he introduced Boga. And then obviously, Conte took him off and then Boga, like, he's left now. So it's like, it's crazy to me to see a winger with so much potential come through that we know is going to succeed and then it's just not like playing so much. So, I don't know. It's a very, very long topic, I guess you could say. So, yeah, honestly, that's where we're going to leave it on that. If you agree with us or disagree, then leave it Well, I'll just quickly say to address what you guys said, but I'll make it much quicker. Werner on the wing, technically – He's out of position whether he plays left wing or pure striker because he's a hybrid. He's somewhere in between. But having Werner on the wing for Frank is two things. He's a goal scorer. So Callum has the potential to score goals, but Werner's a proven goal scorer. So Frank right away, besides the fact that he's going to give Timo a certain amount of starts, fans needs to remember that when you sign a player like Timo, uh, even the club's saying, hey, he needs to start a certain amount of games. And obviously Frank's going to do that anyway. But when you have a defense that you can now trust for clean sheets, hopefully, well, make sure you have some goal scores out there. So when you put Timo and Tammy out there and a creator like Ziyech, well, you really should be able to get at least a few goals. But it's the off-ball thing once again. Timo Werner needs credit. I thought he was really good the other night against Ren pressing. And once again, he scored his goals through pens. But when he closes down on a player, holy hell, it's quick, as we know, Turbo Timo. But he really does his job there. I think number one and two for Frank pressing-wise are Mount and Ziyech. Ziyech is great at it as well. But I think Timo is not too far after. So with Callum, you talked about the whole training thing. No, I don't think he's dogging it in training right now. I've heard he's doing quite well in training overall. I just still think it's more of a trust thing that when Frank puts him out there, he's not going to be as glued in or just knowledgeable as to what he should be doing then Timo instinctively, then Ziyech instinctively, then Tammy instinctively, then of course Mount instinctively. So I think it's something that can perfectly be described as an uphill battle for Callum. I share your sentiment, Pies, about I really don't want it to turn into a KDB situation. And I fear that it could if we don't give him enough playing time because like you, I believe in his talent. So you say we should learn a lot from Byron wanting him. We should learn a lot just from our own eyes watching him in that sorry season whenever we've seen Callum. He's obviously insanely gifted. But I just kind of bring it back to it's been a lot of bad luck. I'm not going to repeat what I said about he's created some on his own. But also it's been bad luck with like injuries too where Frank may have had much bigger plans for Callum than we ever realized, especially when he took over. But at that time, Callum had the Achilles. So, okay. But how about the fact that once Callum came back from injury, Callum started getting in 
a good amount of games, whether it was starts or important bench appearances. And then he hit a bit of a rut himself. It was clear mentally he just wasn't there after the injury. And then when he still could have been used a lot more, he got the hamstring injury. And then lockdown happens, and he certainly has one moment where publicly he didn't put himself in the best light. Forget the serious allegation that wasn't true, but still, they weren't thrilled by that. And it's just kind of been a whole sequence of bad timing. And by the way, let's date it back to the sorry season. We don't know. Maybe Callum would have played a lot more between then and the end of the season because sorry was finally playing him more, but then he gets the injury. So there are so many things we just won't know about how the story could have gone for Callum. But I agree with you, Dubois, that eh, just bottom line, though, this could be affecting his development. Hopefully it's not yet, but you do have to look around at other youngsters, yep, that are either playing more like Saka or youngsters in our own team that have had loans and have had the ability to go play consistent football and grow up, so to speak. And I'm not saying Callum's a baby or anything, but you also grow up as a professional when you go out on loan. So Callum hasn't had the experience that Mount had twice, that Tammy had three times, that Reese had once, that Tamori had, I think, three times. So he's missing in that department. So there are just so many factors that are kind of working against Callum a little bit. But I will kind of wrap it up by saying what I said originally when I was asked this question, I don't think it's done yet. I don't think we can just say, nope, it won't work out for Callum here because let's see what happens when Frank establishes continuity with the top group. Let's see if then he figures out ways to get Callum in and whether that's because he wants to get Callum in or he finally wants to start resting players a bit more once we're in the middle of the season. I don't really care what the reason is as long as Callum does get a little bit more involved so he can force Frank's hand. Yeah, that's fair enough. And I think, as Alex said, it's obviously it's early in the season, guys. So it's just, you know, it's just a waiting game, really, in terms of Hudson Adoy's situation, personal situation at Chelsea. So I think we're just going to have to play it by here, see what happens, see what Frank's plan is, because we're not the manager. We don't know what's inside his head. I know we all think we do, especially me sometimes. But um, yeah, we're just going to have to see what happens and see what his plans are. And hopefully it's a good plan for Hudson Adoy. Hopefully he gets more minutes and continues to shine for Chelsea because we know he can obviously so um, that's going to wrap the, wrap the Hudson Adoy topic up so yeah the next sort of topic is going to be about signings Alex so we're going to ask you first it is coming from CFC underscore RK and the question is who will be our most influential signing this season so I'm guessing that's basically who will turn out to be our most influential signing this season so Alex who do you think? That's such an impossible question. Influential, influential. Well, right now, I still think you have to give it to Mendy. And that's not just because of how great he's playing, but if it's like a tiebreaker all across the board, especially the defensive ones, then you just give it to the person who replaced the most extreme thing. <laughs> and we know that's Mendy replacing who was in there before him. But of course, influential. Tiago Silva's really influential. Just having him back there, I think, takes the blood pressure down of like everybody around him. So that's pretty influential. Chilwell is just like he's been here the whole time. It's crazy. Timo is now scoring goals, but we know Ziyech, when he has the ball, is so influential and so many others. And then Kai Havertz is really the one with the greatest potential and still just so damn good when he's out there. Man, by the end of the season, let's say, who will be the most influential? 
Um, I'm now down to Timo or Mendy, weirdly enough, just because I think Timo is going to score a crap load of goals by season's end. So you would have to say a nice goal tally would be pretty damn influential. And by the way, he is drawing these pens. So I can't stand when people are like, oh, he's just scoring pens. Yeah, he's freaking drawing them. And they're good pens. And I'm sure now as a fan base, we sound a little hypocritical and we make fun of Bruno, but there is a skill to drawing pens Yeah, as well. and Alex and, also. Yeah, Alex also, just to cut you off, it's like the only people who say like the, with the penalty things have a problem is Manchester United fans. So right, if anyone... Exactly. If any Manchester United fans are listening to this, then, you know, just know that it's, it's just a bit of banter. You know, there's nothing wrong with Bruno or Timo scoring penalties. A goal is a goal. But, you know, the differences between them two is, is Timo's actually winning them for us. So, yeah, I just thought I'd add that in, Alex. Continue if yeah. you want. No, you're totally right. It definitely is coming from United fans. All right. It, it, you can't answer the question perfectly. I'll say Mendy. I'll say Mendy because I'm now just so in love with the guy and – I think I can also spin that he's really influential besides his own isolated performances because it's very clear his defense trusts him. So I think that's pretty influential. So I'll say Mendy. Yeah, fair enough. I think for me personally, it's, it's down to, or I think it's down to Ziyech. I think it's Silva. I think it's Mendy. I think it's going to be those three by the end of the season. I'll just say Ziyech in there because of his creativity and the left foot. I think he had such a different dimension. And I think there's going to be a lot of times this season where, you know, if Ziyech isn't playing or something due to something that we might miss his creativity and like, he, especially his left foot and just the different like dimension he gives us. And also the link up with Reese has just been like different levels. So I think Ziyech has been very influential and I think he continues to, he will continue to be. And I think, Obviously, Silver and Mendy, obviously, for obvious reasons, Mendy coming in to replace Kepa has just been absolutely outstanding. I haven't seen a weakness in this guy, honestly. And then Silver, for me, it's just like having John Terry back there, honestly. It's just, you know, like, there was a season, I think, obviously, where Terry was doubted he, he couldn't play and people were saying, oh, he couldn't play and he's washed and he's too old and he played every single minute of the season. So, I'm not, I'm not saying that Silver will play every single minute, but I'm saying that, Silva has that sort of influence that Terry had in the back line. You know, I know he doesn't speak English, but he's pointing where he wants people to go. You know, he, he's a leader by his own right. And also, he's a fantastic defender still. People are saying, like, he doesn't have enough pace. I'm sorry, that's absolute rubbish. Silva is still actually pretty quick. Like, I've seen this guy shift. He can still shift for his age. And also, like, it's just, it's just he's still a ridiculous defender. I, I don't get these people to say to me that, Silva's a washed defender. He's not. Like, this guy is incredibly consistent still. It's nothing to do with his age, you know. He's not washed at all. So, for anyone who thinks he's washed or for anyone who thinks he can only, you know, last one season, then that's just absolute, like, rubbish in my opinion. I still think he can do another season at least. So, Dubois, I'm going to get your answer quickly on this question because Silva actually leads into the next question. So, I'll ask Alex that in a minute. So, um, Dubois, what do you think about this question of who will be our most influential signing? Do you have a particular one that you think? Yeah, I mean, I agree uh, mostly with you to what you've said about Silva and Mendy. They'd definitely be in my top three. I think Silva, again, Pius, like you alluded to, his age is literally not a factor at all. I mean, the performances he's putting in, you know, one would think he's in his prime the way he's playing if he didn't know his age. He's someone that's brought a complete calmness into our defence. I mean, even with... Zuma next to him, I think those two as a pair, they just complement each other. And I think Silva 
with his experience, um, everything he has about him, his aura has just, you know, made our defence look completely different compared to what we've had, say, last season or under Sari, where we always looked fragile. I think Silva's influence, I think, is going to be a massive part of the season. And we're already seeing that early stages. So it's positive signs. And then Mendy, again, you know, Kepa was going through a hard time, dropped. We needed someone to come in and, you know, credit to Czech and all those who scouted uh, Mendy because he's come in and he's looked completely assured. He's breeding confidence in our defence. You know, every time we're defending, it doesn't seem like we're going to concede every time now like it had before. I think Mendy's got a big part to play in that. You know, his stature, he seems confident. His distribution's a lot better than I thought it would be. And I think he's just going to get better. I mean, yes, he's 28, but for goalkeepers, that's still a pretty young age. So, you know, there's every chance he will not just be influenced, influential just for this season, but for many seasons after this. So I think you guys summed it up quite well there. Um, but the last one, uh, which I don't think we've mentioned, is uh, Chil- Chilwell. Now, Chilwell was someone that I personally wasn't the greatest fan of before we signed him. I was vocal about that on Twitter as well. Um, I just didn't believe he would be a massive upgrade on what we have already. But, you know, credit to him. I think he will be, in my opinion, I'm going to go to a close one between Mendy and Chilwell. But I'm going to put Chilwell up there because he's proved, not only has he proved me wrong, but he's come in and transformed that left-hand side for us where Alonso and Asari, I mean, when we saw him play left-back, you know, at times, every time, you know, there was an attack down that right-hand side, it was causing trouble. And now we've got Chilwell there. We look so assured and that's some, now we don't look imbalanced. And I think that's a big thing that Chilwell's done he's come in not only defensively improved that left-hand side but also attacking wise we've seen his crosses he's creating chances and his cohesion not just on the pitch but off it so I think Chilwell's definitely had a massive influence and you know credit to him he's not only proved me wrong but many in our fan base and you know I hope it continues so I think those three for me um, but you know again I could go with any of the attackers but I guess they speak for themselves but in my opinion I think the defence is the one we needed the biggest strengthening in and the influence those have brought, I think, you know, has been crucial. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, and also, guys, remember this question in particular is down to personal opinion. So leave your opinion down below. Who do you think will be the most influential signing this season? Um, and who do you think is the best influential or who do you think is the influential signing so far? So, guys, we're going to move on to the next question. And it sort of leads into the last question about what we've just discussed about Thiago Silva. And it's, Something that I said, actually, I already basically answered this question. So I'm going to ask Alex first. And the first part of the question, there's two parts to this. It's almost like two questions, basically. So, Alex, the first part of the question is, is Silva a one-season punt? And in terms of Lampard, is a trophy non-negotiable by the end of this season? So I think the trophies we can win are FA Cup and Champions League. I'll answer the first part. Silva kind of a one-off I just don't think anybody knows I think right now I totally echo what you said Pies about he clearly has a lot left in the tank and if you weren't knowledgeable about the fact he's 36 I don't think you'd ask much I think you'd just look at him and be like damn that's a good defender and yeah he can still get up and down obviously Zuma can get up and down a bit quicker but he can still definitely get back quick enough he can still jump in the air what really impresses me about Tiago Silva is in the 80th minute the 90th minute when teams are just now settling to put balls in over the top because they can't figure out another way to score against Chelsea 
they're trying to float balls over the top to their striker, trying getting it, trying getting it over Tiago Silva, and he's still jumping. He's still getting to it. So his legs still have it. Now, I've been very consistent lately in saying that when we can put him in bubble wrap and not play him, let's do that. And I think Frank certainly echoes that, seeing as he didn't even travel for the first Champions League game. Well, the second one, actually, against Krasnodar. So we know Frank uh, agrees with that. But, yeah, it could be another season for Thiago. I just don't think we know yet. But if he keeps playing like this, please, another season for him. And then on the second part, non-negotiable Frank winning a trophy. If by non-negotiable you mean if he doesn't win a trophy, he's out. That's just way too cut and dry. It's way too black and white to say. I always say, and maybe this answers the question, when someone says when a team is going poorly, because I had this question on my own podcast a few weeks ago when things were much more down with Chelsea. Someone said like, hey, if they lose on Saturday, is Frank out? And I said, well, he's not going to be out. But if you're asking me what I think or just objectively what someone should think, how the heck do I know? You got to see the temperature of the game, right? Because you could have a 4-0 loss. That's still pretty bad, but a 4-0 loss. And maybe two of the goals were horrible refereeing decisions. Two of them were really unlucky and you played great and hit the post like five times. But you could have a one-nil loss where you played absolutely horrible football. Cough, cough, Antonio Conte a couple seasons ago, where you played absolutely horrible football and the fans find no positives from it. So that's about a specific game. And I always am really cautious to answer those questions about a manager's future. Hey, if they lose a game. But especially when you ask me if, we don't win at least a trophy is that kind of make or break for Frank. I just don't know because what about if we're third, but we have a really high points total and city and Liverpool also have a really high one. What about if we have the best goal differential though of the teams still, that might be hard to pull off, but we could have a great goal differential. What about if all of our new signings hit and some of our youngsters, but we were still third. What about if Frank proved to actually not be too blameless for the rest of the season, but, we went far in the Champions League, went far in the FA Cup, went decently far in the Premier League, but just didn't get a trophy. See what I'm saying? It's just very hard to say right now that, yeah, if he doesn't get a trophy, ugh, that's kind of make or break for him. Now, the goal is certainly to get a trophy. You're out of the Carabao Cup, which is the one you would have celebrated the least. Still would have been nice to win. But an FA Cup, just like this past season, it still kills me to beat Arsenal, but that could be your most realistic avenue, but you just never know with this team. A lot of talent. Let's see what happens in the Champions League. But to give the person a straight answer, no, I don't think it's non-negotiable to win a trophy. Like, I don't think it's based on that. It would be nice, but the season, yeah, the goal is to always win a trophy, and it's not a successful season if you don't, but it could still be more successful than maybe you're thinking right now, listening if Frank doesn't win a trophy, because I need to see the temperature of the season. Yeah, exactly, guys. And I think with that specific question, I think it almost like relies on like where we are in the league in terms of the answer of that. Obviously, like I don't think like say if Frank Lampard finishes third or second, we have like really high points, like Alex just said. And we don't win the FA Cup or obviously we don't win the Champions League, which is not likely anyway, let's be honest. Then I don't think it's like Lampard out, you know, he has to go. I think it just depends on like how we're, how the overall season is. Obviously, also big game results as well with this squad. I'm very, very interested to see how we do against big teams in the league. You know, your Man City's, Liverpool's, etc. So I'm very, very interested to see in that department whether we can actually beat them. 
Obviously, we did last season. We've done quite well in the big games. We beat Manchester City. So, if we can continue that and obviously just just play really, really well. I just want us to play really well. One of like When I look at the overall season at the end of this season, I want to think, yeah, I want another season with Lampard. Give me more of that. Give me more of this football. Give me more of what I've already seen this season. I don't want to feel... You know, oh, that was just another, uh, you know, okay, I'll just, I'll take that sort of thing. That was me last season. I'll just, you know, I was just, I'll take that. I'll take fourth. You know, we had some good moments. We had some inconsistent moments. I want to see improvement, overall improvement. I think that's what Chelsea fans will be looking for. But at the end of this season, most Chelsea fans should just be, you know, really positive. That's what we want to feel, guys. We want to feel really positive. We want to feel like we want more. We want to feel like we want to, you know, just see more of this team and, and progress, basically. And I think that Lampard can do that. I think this team can do that. And it's all just a waiting game. As I've said before, we've just got to see what happens. So, Tabor, what do you think about this question and obviously your answers to it? Yeah, pretty similar to what you guys have said. I think a trophy is quite hard to say at this moment in time. I think the main thing that all of us want to see is uh, improvement and progression from last season. We finished fourth with, I mean, personally, I mean, I know, Pius, your opinion that you think that, you know, you were just all right with finishing fourth and, you know, you'll take that sort of towards it, like mentality towards it. And I think we did quite well last season. I think, you know, it's quite understated how we had a squad which on paper compared to the other squads, you know, we weren't given a chance for top four. I think Lampard with what he had and the players he was bringing through, I think we did really well. Um, Obviously, we're Chelsea, so we don't celebrate fourth. Um, but, you know, in the circumstances, I think Frank did a really good job. Uh, obviously, we didn't celebrate it or anything like that. But, you know, a lot of credit has to be given to Frank for what he did last season. But this season, we brought in, obviously, a lot of many new players. And it's hard to expect them to gel and to win trophies straight away. Uh, that's probably why, you know, we heard like a three sort of three year plan or you know, in the media about Frank when he's talking to his new signings. So I think trophy, you know, it won't depend on a trophy, but we just want to see progression from last season. Finishing fourth with that squad, you know, you'd hope that we can not only cut the gap from, to the top, but also maybe, you know, if things go our way, we might be closer, a lot closer than many would think. Uh, so that's why I think on that. Uh, but again, it, it changes every minute, you know, one result, two results, and it can have a different picture on the tw- on Twitter or anywhere for that matter. Chelsea, the Chelsea fan base is, is never an easy place to be. So, yeah, I mean, it all depends at the end of the season, but as long as we see progression, especially in Europe, I'd say that would be um, a real sort of benchmark to see where we are. Um, but yeah, it, it will be one to keep an eye on, I guess. And it is quite easy to say. And also, I think Thiago Silva was part of that question as well. Um, and I, yeah, I mean, I pretty much agree with what Alex said. I think I don't think he's a one-season punt in a way. Uh, the way he's playing, you know, he, he seems to be in his prime. And I think one thing about him is his influence off the pitch as well, and his just aura. And having him at the club will probably be in good stead if he stays next season, or even after that, if that's not in the playing role, uh, you know, or otherwise. So I think Thiago Silva is definitely not a one-season punt, um, and we're seeing that already. So yeah, but anyway, I think. We'll move on from that topic because we've been here for a while and we also want to get through one last topic, which is going to be tailored at Alex here. Um, So, Alex, this question, again, is more personally about you yourself and it's going to be about your journey. I mean, you you are regarded as the biggest Chelsea account, not only on Twitter, but obviously you have your podcast going on. 
and you know a lot of Chelsea fans you know they respect you and uh, all the work you've done obviously you know you're now you've I guess I know you don't like to be claimed as one but you know I think you know a lot more maybe behind the scenes than many of or all Chelsea fans uh, regular Chelsea fans but I wanted to ask you about your journey how it's been and your rise and um, also any tips for Chelsea fans that are listening to this at the moment who sort of want to grow like you have and voice their opinions in the future um, and follow a similar path to you. Yeah, speaking of a loaded one, I'll try and give you kind of a express version, you could say. So it's been pretty wild. I mean, I think the number one thing to kind of bring things current before I give a bit more detail is what I started doing I'm seeing now so many other people do from the Chelsea community so it's really nice to kind of now live through my initial process and watching so many others start podcasts and YouTube channels and I think as a community as a content creating community for Chelsea we're really growing I mean we're really growing and I don't pay too too much attention to rivals I mean I like Goldbridge and I do watch some other content from other teams but I'll be biased and say, I think we got the best content going now in the community, but to dial it back, I mean, yeah, all started with me doing just simple videos on Twitter about Chelsea, just because I would really be sick of typing and people enjoyed them and some people didn't, but still you asked for tips. That's actually one of my tips along this answer is pay more attention to the people that enjoy it rather than the people that hate it. Now, if you're feeling like more than 50% are hating what you're doing, then maybe pay attention to what they're saying, because maybe if you listen to them, you can improve. But more often than not, for anybody who is starting to get traction on, say, Twitter or YouTube or podcasts, but say Twitter, since we're all familiar with that, you're starting to get traction on Twitter and people are starting to respond to your videos or whatever you're doing, maybe your edits, who knows? Well, if you're then growing as an account and people are liking it, pay attention to that because you're still going to have trolls and people hating on you along the way. And actually as your account grows or your podcast becomes bigger, or your channel becomes bigger, guess what? You get more haters. It just comes with the territory, but try and hone in on the people who are giving you the constructive criticism or of course the compliments and saying, Hey, I really like this. Also, here's a tip along the way. What really has worked for me, especially once I started my podcast was Am I doing a podcast I would want to listen to? So that's been a huge thing for me all along the way. When I did Twitter videos, it wasn't so much me thinking about if I'd want to watch the Twitter video because, hey, it's only two minutes and 20 seconds. Who the hell cares anyway? But when you do a two-minute and 20-second video, you have to make it somewhat entertaining. And then when I would do YouTube videos, that was kind of my model again. And now with the podcast, I just always ask myself, is this something I would want to listen to? Like, am I talking about something right now that I think I'm supposed to talk about because I want to be all professional, but really nobody wants to listen to it. So that's been a huge kind of template of mine lately, pass it on to some other people. And sometimes that helps them filter out if they actually want to publish something or if they want to press upload on something. So that's been important for me. But yeah, just personally with my ride, rise, both really, it's been crazy. It's been absolutely crazy. Never really thought that I could reach the people I've reached, have some of the people on the podcast that I've had. Really didn't think that at all. I would just say that there really is a way if you're committed enough to reach whomever you want to reach to an extent. And you can do so much. We talk about social media being so bad and so toxic and it can be. You can do so much though for yourself positively via social media if you use it the right way. I was saying to someone the other day, 
I'll end my answer like this. Saying to someone the other day, I went to broadcasting school. I actually went to college and went to a certain college because I thought I had a great communication school. So I did in some way, shape or form want to be in sports broadcasting. However, technically I could be doing what I'm doing right now. And I arguably am doing what I'm doing right now. Not at all. Thanks to any of those moves and purely just, and purely just based on having a Twitter account and networking, putting out videos, really everything I have done, the people I have spoken to. So like someone recently, like Harry Redknapp, right? I've reached all these people pretty much all on my own, meaning I didn't even need the broadcasting school. I didn't even need to go to college for those things. I'm not saying for you listening out there, don't do it. But what I'm saying is you hold a lot of power in your hands right now. So don't listen to the haters and really understand that if this is something you truly want to do, if putting out content on the team you love is something that just feels good and natural, just do it and don't try and be someone else either because that was important for me is I saw someone like Goldbridge or I just saw people that might be big over in the UK with fan cams and stuff. And I didn't want to seem like I was being anybody like that. I just wanted to be raw and authentic. So when I speak to a camera, it really just feels like it's me. And I'm speaking to as if I was the viewer, would I want to listen to that? And that's really helped me all along the way. And now I'm at the point where I'm doing podcasts with people that I certainly have looked up to and I'll be honest, maybe the first time you do it, you're like, oh my God, I'm talking to this person. So for instance, maybe like Demba Ba, when I had him on, I was like, oh my God, I'm talking to Demba Ba. What is going on? And 10 minutes in, just felt natural. Just felt like I was doing a podcast. So that's definitely the goal of where you want to get to. But I think if you do it consistently enough and well done to you guys for having a good work ethic and not just doing a podcast whenever you feel about, whenever you feel like it, feel about it. But doing it consistently so your viewers can rely on you to put out content but also so it becomes very easy for you so yeah that was kind of one big answer of my rise but also hopefully some helpful tips somewhere in there honestly that was a fantastic answer you covered every angle really and one of the things i liked the most about that is like he was talking about don't listen to the criticism and it's very very easy to let that you know get you down basically and guys if you're out there and you're like I don't want to say small because that just makes me, you know, feel like I'm really big and stuff. But if you're really like, if you're a smaller account and than the me or Alex or Dubois and you're trying to like do a, a specific thing, like maybe you're doing videos or something, or maybe you're doing, I don't know, a, a particular type of post, you know, you're trying to be different about what you're doing to, to try and grow, then don't let people get you down that comment saying you know stop doing this or this is rubbish or whatever because at the end of the day they probably like it and they're probably just jealous of what you're doing and and it, it's true you know people always try and get you down on social media people try and stop you from rising and especially if you're doing well and you're starting to to gain some you know traction just just be consistent just keep going always block people if you need to and Obviously, another thing I wanted to say to you, like, listen to this. Obviously, people listen to this. And I think a lot of what I've heard before is that, I don't know, some people feel like all big accounts are, like, really sort of rosy of each other. And it's just not true. I'm going to give you two examples of this to dismiss this. Obviously, some of you might be listening to this, hoping that me and Alex are starting World War Three again. But it's <laughs> like, you know, like... It, it's true, like, all big accounts are not rosy. Me and Alex have had, like, 
numerous arguments <laughs> before and, and also me and Dubois, before I knew him personally and before I knew like him as CFC Dubois, he was Nathan Dubois. <laughs> and obviously he started a, an account where he was trying to like claim ITDK and had sources and everything. And me and him were arguing the most and, and he quoted me, you know, all this sarcastic like nonsense and oh, I told you I was right and I was just like I knew this guy was a fraud but he was like you know we had numerous arguments so it's not just and he was like getting like a big account so don't feel like all big accounts are rosy and stuff it's not that everyone argues everyone you know has a different journey to the top and even if you are you know so to so to be at the top it doesn't mean that everything's rosy and, and you can't have arguments because it's not like that. We criticise each other as well. So don't just feel like, you know, you're down and lonely and it's just you getting criticism. It's not true. I get criticism all the time. And, and as, as Alex said, sometimes it comes the most when you actually have a lot of followers. You know, there's some days on Twitter where I go on and I post something and it's my opinion and I just, you know, I'll have like 10 replies in, in a few seconds and three of them will be, really really bad replies but like you know the other lot will be really really good replies but those three replies will make me feel like I don't want to do this anymore like genuinely it just it honestly some days I just wish that I didn't have followers because you do have that influence and it's something Alex has told me before you know you just have to try and be you have to try and be yourself but you also have to try and you know like be careful with what you say because obviously when you do have followers you do have an influence and you do have a certain sort of power, so to speak. So it's definitely hard, whether you're big or small, to sort of, you know, just be a Twitter account, basically. And it's what Twitter is. So if you're struggling with criticism, then, or hate, not really criticism, more hate. If you're struggling with hate from people, then feel free to DM me specifically, or Dubois or Alex. I'm sure we can speak to you. And um, yeah, we have a lot of experience of this, guys. So you know, just just keep going. Just keep going and, and try and do your best and we'll always try and support you if we can. So, yeah, I know that I'm specifically, me specifically, read a lot of DMs all the time. So, yeah, guys, anyway, that was going to be the end of the episode. So, we thank you so much, Alex, for coming on. Obviously, it's a big pleasure having you on, knowing you, obviously, like, a long while and being one of the biggest Chelsea accounts, we thank you for agreeing to coming on and being on our podcast and stuff. And just really, guys, overall with the support so far, I mean, this is our fourth episode and we've had some fantastic guests on. We will be doing more, like, match reviews after games, just me and Dubois. Um, but obviously, right now, we want to try and talk to as many people as we can um, that we know. And, um, yeah, it's just been a great pleasure having you on, Alex. Anything you would like to add? No, not at all. Really nice being on. Really well said about kind of the not mental health behind getting hate, but yeah, to an extent. So I'm not great with my DMs, but please always DM me because it will stay confidential. And I don't like to hear that people are struggling, but I do like to hear that people feel comfortable enough to open up to me because really, I think you'd be surprised out there how many things a quote-unquote big account, and I agree with you, Pies, we only say that to differentiate followers. It doesn't make us any different than yeah, exactly. uh, somebody with less exactly. followers. Yeah. But mm -hmm. I think people will be surprised how much a big account can relate to a small account, especially if that small account is trying to do something and 
get notoriety for whatever they're doing. So yeah, doors always open. And lastly, boys, just fantastic stuff. Really well done to you guys. It's so good to see prominent figures from Chelsea Twitter branch out and do something on a different platform, whatever it is. It could be YouTube. It could be a podcast, really whatever. So well done to you guys. Cause I think making this move just makes actually indirectly, at least our Chelsea Twitter community better. So well done. And yeah, it was great to be on. Yeah. Thank you, man. Honestly. And in terms of like the podcast as well, what you just said there, I wouldn't really, well, I wouldn't be doing it if one, I didn't come on your podcast in the first place. And so, yeah, I have a lot to thank you personally for this. Um, so harassing you to come on the podcast was the right move. Well, yeah, eventually it seems like, obviously, if some of you don't know, obviously Alex was like, quote unquote, they're harassing me to come on the podcast. It was a long while ago and I had basically no confidence. And obviously I still struggle, like speaking and stuff like that. But like, if I didn't go on Alex's podcast and I didn't feature on Con's podcast and and stuff like that, I wouldn't be doing this with Dubois. So, um, yeah, I know I've thanked Con before, but Again, personal thank you, Alex, for inviting me on back then. Um, and, you know, it's just helped me more with my confidence and stuff. So, yeah, anyway, that's going to be the end of the episode, guys. Hope you have enjoyed. And, uh, yeah, stay tuned on Twitter, to Bar's Twitter, for more good guests announced soon. And, obviously, I'll post as well. And, yeah, just check the retweets and stuff for announcements on each of our accounts. And, um, yeah, again, thank you to Alex for coming on. And we will see you in the next episode, guys. Thank you for listening.